Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. How are you? Uh, exhausted. How are you? <laughs> you went out last night. Uh-huh. How did that go? It was fine, and I walked home, so... Why it, did you walk home? Because I couldn't justify paying those kind of <laughs> prices at park clubs. <laughs> It was like $50 to go... How far away are we from there? Four miles? It was $50? Yeah. No. It was surging, and so I just started walking. So you walked all the way home? Yeah, it took forever. <laughs> so I'm a little tired. Uh, but good. Good. Oh, good for my spirit. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um... Did did you know that the big West Hollywood Starbucks closed? Yes, uh, because we were over there recently because we ate at that Tender Greens. Okay. And then I think that's when I noticed it. The one that used to, the Starbucks you're talking about used to be by Trader Joe's. Yeah. It, it is used to be across from the 24-hour fitness. Which also closed and became something else. Well, I didn't know that, and I noticed yesterday. They closed last Sunday. But it made me pretty sad because I remember that place opening. It opened in 1995. Um, Yeah, I just have a lot of memories of going there in college. Like, we would walk there. We would stay when my friend, my old roommate, and I would come out here. We would stay near there. So the ritual was to like walk and um, go have coffee there. So, yeah, I just have a lot of memories of that. <laughs> and that wasn't one of the ones they closed in that recent. Because um, remember, Starbucks was closing a bunch of stores in response to like uh, employees not being safe or whatever. I don't know. I read an article about it, it and that wasn't mentioned. It is pretty prime real estate and it's yeah. a huge building and the building's also you know who knows it might just be that the lease wasn't renewed and well it's weird because we also like uh, we used to go to that coffee bean and tea leaf that also closed years ago over in that area and then the one by the director's guild which i think became starbucks it's so odd yeah um well the coffee bean that used to be in west hollywood um that probably had the worst service of any coffee shop I've ever been in. I really did like that location, but... And remember they used to have that mag- that very large magazine stand on the other side? Yeah. But, yeah, I, I, I just... When I drove... Because I... My intention was to go sit there yesterday, and I drove, parked, walked up with my laptop, and it was, like, blacked out. And at first I thought the curtains were down. It's curtains, bitch. And as I proceeded, I realized, like, oh, no, I think this is closed. But I I, I was in denial, so I tried to open the door. And, of course, like, it's not there. But, yeah, I just have a lot of memories of just, you know, that era before there were phones and people on apps. And, like, I remember that just being a very, like, friendly place. And Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'm just going on. Um... Anne Heche oh, yes. got into a car accident. Yeah, not that far from here. Do you know what kind of car she was driving? A Mini Cooper. Yeah, the same kind you have. Yep. 
I know, because my dad's like, that's what she drives? <laughs> oh, shade. Okay. Um, minis aren't Jeep. The, uh, it's true. Yeah, I was trying to read details. The, there isn't a lot out except that she was involved in a hit and run accident. And then was traveling at a high rate of speed and then ran into this house. Because initially it was like, oh, she like ran into her own house, but that's not her house mm-hmm. that she ran into. And I also didn't realize that she was in a hit and run right before then. She, well, but I, it was in the afternoon. So, I mean, people day drink, I guess, but... she Did she do the hitting and then running or was she... From the articles, I've read like five articles and, you know, piecing together details. I, it, I, I can't determine who was at fault with the hit and run. But, yeah, wouldn't that be wild if, like, she hit someone, driving drunk, tried to get away, traveling at a high rate of speed, through a residential area, hits a house, and then the house burned. Like, the house is uninhabitable. Yeah, I read that the structure was compromised. And then she is badly injured, like, with severe burns. And she was in critical condition. Now she's stable, but... That shit is crazy. Yeah. Poor, well, I mean, who knows? It's just who un- knows? Well, it's just unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, I was reading about that Batgirl movie, which Dude. I have no interest in. Same. But I was reading about, there was some piece in, I think, The New Yorker about this phenomenon. Because, you know, they're saying that it's because of an impending merger and cost cutting and that makes no sense i don't know but but then the article was talking also about a lot of these platforms um well specifically for like these marvel and dc movies wanting to sort of find a balance between quality because Mm -hmm. the films that are released for the, the the films that are made that are intended for theatrical release have a better quality than the ones that have been spit out for streaming uh-huh. So then they were saying that maybe it's that's arguable, all, but yeah. also why Batgirl was shelved because the quality wasn't up to the level and then to make it what they wanted would have cost even more money. I don't know. Part of me also thinks that this is just creating a lot of publicity for when this movie eventually does see the light of day. So, you know, I don't trust anything I read. I feel like Within the next few years, this movie is going to be released. And it'll probably have huge numbers because we were all wondering about it. Well, anytime you deny the ability to see something, you know, maybe that'll help people want to see it. And it'll set the expectations quite low. Yeah. (laughs) Potentially. Because everybody will be like, oh, it's not that bad. Thankfully, there's no drag race to talk about because it's over. Well, at least the one we were watching. Yeah, what are you talking about? But yeah, we started... Uh, Australia, we're watching Canada. I do have to say, as terrible as season one of Australia was, season two I thought was pretty good. But to be fair, we watched the first episode of season two of Australia right after we had watched an episode of Canada. Which everything seems better after that. Yeah, because Canada's garbage. But yeah, no more drag race to talk about at the moment. We might talk about celebrity Drag Race, which starts next week. Only because I know I'll want to watch it. Okay, so then we got questions um, for advice. So we're going to go with mine or the one you had said? I, I think you. 
So then this is like pieced together from two people from a conversation. So there isn't like a specific um, question I'm reading, but it's basically like, let's just say it's two gay men in their late thirties who want to move to Los Angeles. Like that's just their dream is to move here. Mm-hmm. They've visited before. What do we think about people who say they want to move to Los Angeles? Um, well, find a cult to infiltrate and take all their money. No. <laughs> well, of course, I would have a million questions about this, that, and the third. One of them is a nurse, and the other one works in food and beverage, like a server slash bartender. So I feel like it's hard to answer because I have so many questions. So then I feel like just to give general my general and your general thoughts on people who want to move to L.A. So to start, what are some observations you've made of people who just decide, like, I want to move to L.A., I want to live by the beach, and I want to be in Hollywood. That they leave. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My first thought would be don't, but not, like, don't come here ever. I think... No, I think uh, if you can transfer with your job, line up some kind of gig. And also research your drive to where that place would be to where what be close to where you want to live especially at first that's exactly what i was going to say i was going to say do not move to los angeles if you do not already have a job lined up and if you are not able to telework then you need to live near your job because 10 miles when you live in mobile alabama is nothing Mm -hmm. but 10 miles in los angeles could take what an hour and a half Uh one way like rush hour so if you work business hours Monday through Friday, <laughs> you might want to kill yourself. <laughs> and you live 10 miles from your work, you could be spending three hours a day commuting. And public transit is not where it needs to be. And that shit gets old fast. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we moved once because I couldn't take my commute. Well, it's because in your, it, your hours changed, I think. Yeah. It was as simple as that. Yeah. But I mean, but it was enough to like drive me crazy. Mm-hmm. And... You know, we were in a pretty good place. Yeah. But it was just like, I can't deal with this traffic. And that commute was what? Nine miles? Mm-hmm. It was from Echo Park to Culver City. And I thought I was going to lose my mind. But yeah. Make sure you have a job. Research where your job, you know, like how far you are from where you might live. And don't live too far from work. But then what I was going to say is like, okay, if I were a nurse and I want to move to... To me, I would say, like, why don't you become a traveling nurse? Mm. They make a lot more money. And then what I would do is I would buy a house or something in a smaller city that's more manageable. Not like in the middle of nowhere, but maybe like a Phoenix or a Las Vegas or a... I don't know what's affordable. Uh, (laughs) Atlanta, I don't know. Nothing. But somewhere more affordable. Maybe, you know, find someone to live in my home, like a roommate, Mm -hmm. and then I can travel. I can, you know, work two months in L.A. or I don't know. I just think that it seems kind of wild to just get up and move to like a super expensive city without a full plan. Because we've met many people who, you know, you save up your little 10,000 and you move out here without a job. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, half of that 10,000 is going to your apartment if you get an apartment on your own with deposit first and last month and then thinking you're going to find a job in LA is very limiting 
when you think like wherever you're living, you probably don't want to go too far from that. So now you've eliminated a lot of options. And if like if you're a server or whatever, I would think like invest in coming out here, maybe rent like an Airbnb for a month, apply to a bunch of jobs, do interviews. And if something comes along that's promising, then that would be a jumping off point. But for my personality, I would be super anxious moving to an expensive city. I would be anxious moving anywhere and not having a job lined up and not knowing where that job is versus where I live. <laughs> but well, like anything, also planning the logistics, the, the cost of the move. You know, I think we spent five grand moving here. Yeah, it's not cheap, but. Because then um, we rented a truck and drove across country with all our belongings. And two hairless cats. And a car that we towed. And a car in tow. But, yeah, the other thing is, like, I feel like L.A. has this romantic appeal. And I don't know. I mean, there are several places I've been where I thought, oh, I would love to live here. Mm -hmm. But in reality, it's like, well, that would, that, you know, like Mexico City. I think, oh, I would love to live here. In Berlin. Right, but but then these places don't really make sense for maybe like what I want to achieve in my life, and so I think LA is a nice place to visit, especially if you are able to telework or get a job where you can telework. Why not make home someplace that's more affordable and then just travel? Mm -hmm. That's what I would do. Yeah, because well, you know, right now a lot of people are leaving. Los Angeles, California in general, but it's very crowded. It's expensive. Um, all of the things that you would want. The, the main reason I miss Minnesota is because the things that you like to do are easily accessible and here they're not like just wanting to go even yesterday, wanting to go sit at a coffee shop. It's like, it's difficult because <laughs> well, you you learn to appreciate space a lot differently. Because uh, that was a disappointment. I remember feeling coming from Minnesota to California. It's just that yes, you're not the places that you want to go casually do some frivolous things. That it's it's not that easy, and that kind of takes the fun out of it. Yeah, parking is difficult. Um, unfortunately, the homeless population here is quite high, and it's just not comfortable being in a space where you know most Starbucks are not that clean, and they're <laughs> like where were we yesterday or. Because uh, I asked you to take me to lunch to that CeCe's place. We had oh, yeah. We went to... Shout out to uh, CeCe's in Silver Lake. They, um, it's like homemade Italian food. Like the owners, I believe, are from Italy. Mm -hmm. But anyway, we went. And I had to mean mug these lipstick lesbians. That well, first of all, they only have four two tops. So mm -hmm. it's like cafe seating outside. The inside of the restaurant literally has enough room to fit four people to order their food. But there are four small tops... Um, and they were all occupied. And then we couldn't, we had to wait out in the sun because there were people waiting to order, one of whom was Colin Firth. Yep, right in front of us. <laughs> yeah, Colin Firth was in line in front of us. And we waited quite some time before we were able to order. Um, but yeah, even that, like wanting to go have a meatball sandwich on focaccia was like, <laughs> it was just an ordeal. And that was on a Friday, like at lunchtime. Mm -hmm. So. I don't know. I would say do not come out here unless you already have a job and you can live near your job if you can't work from home. And then evaluate what about L.A. sounds so great to you. Because it's crowded, dirty, and expensive. Mm -hmm. And I think making 
Friends is difficult. Socializing is super difficult. Oh, Not true. because people out here are different than other humans in the rest of the world, but it's the logistics of the city make it super complicated mm-hmm. to um, get around. Like, it's, it's just not possible. Um, yes, it, it becomes a, like a system of mechanics where how much of a use are you to those people? And I think that as a couple uh, and making friends, you're less useful to people. So they're less likely to potentially sure. give you their time. That's a separate conversation, but yeah, that's true. I was, but I mean, I also think like, okay, so the idea of living in LA is so romantic because you have access to the beach and Hollywood and all the fun things and the amusement parks. These places are not close together mm-hmm. and could take a very long time to get to. And if you end up living in downtown LA and you think you're going to go to the beach every weekend, I mean, that's a huge endeavor. <laughs> It's not as easy as it seems. Like when you look at a map, it's it seems like everything's so accessible. It's funny. It's how really not. A lot of those places that seem kind of cute. Like not that I'm into tourist shit, but a lot of those places that seem kind of cute, I dread ever having to go to again. With like Venice Beach or um, yeah, that's the other thing. When people come visit and they even someone asked me yesterday like that they're visiting and what should they do. I just had to say like I can't answer. It's like that question is too. Like, Mm -hmm. I I can't even answer it because it's just like, there's so much stuff. There's not enough time. You're only going to be here for four days. Like, (laughs) it's almost not worth it. Like, Mm -hmm. it's better to just come visit for like a month and do things when it's not high tide. Like, don't go to Venice Beach on Saturday morning. Oh, (laughs) not if, uh, uh, yeah, again, if you're parking. (laughs) Right. You, you, you need to probably like, if I were thinking of moving here, I would come for a month do a bunch of interviews, stay in different parts of town, downtown LA, the West side by the beach, West Hollywood, the Valley. Cause actually if we, if we could move again and not be restricted by like our work, which is not super restrictive, but if we could live anywhere in LA, I'd probably want to live in the Valley, but not like, like studio city. Mm. I feel like that'd be a really nice place to live. So there are a lot of great locations. I had, since we've, lived here over a decade now i think what i like is recognizing all of the places that you see in film like film looks differently uh, well that's the other thing that's what makes it so seductive is because even yeah driving around sometimes i'm like oh it's so cool that we live here mm-hmm. and yes recognizing places in tv and film oh yeah if you're at a, it's very exciting just, just a cross street in a film it's like oh that's right around the corner or <laughs> but it's not enough to deal with oh no no by no not you know, if means. you know, because anyway, we're rambling on, or I am. So, moving on, sorry to this man. I wanted to address uh, the movie Prey. There are so many comments about how there's a, a version in Comanche. So, a few things. Number one, we watched this movie well before it was released, and well before we understood that there was a version being released where they're speaking Comanche. So, that's number one. Number two, the way people are describing the English being spoken is, you know, no offense, but it just sounds so stupid. Like, because all of the comments are, they're speaking English so the audience can understand, but really they're speaking Comanche. No, no, What no, the no. fuck does that mean? What, what's the difference between that and just dubbing? Let me, like, t- let me tell you what they're doing. They are making it uh, so that American audiences don't have to read because American audiences don't read good. Well, right. And people are even saying that, but they're saying it like, duh, it makes sense. No. no, it doesn't make sense. The only thing that makes sense is they knew that people wouldn't want to read subtitles, so they 
made the shit in English. Make the, the, they made it some, uh, you know, it's that same ethnocentric bullshit that prizes English above all else, even when it's uh, not factually correct. These people were not speaking English to each other. For some reason, <laughs> it's really bothering me that people are saying that that's the excuse because that you could use that for... Like, to say that the filmmaker did it, like, they're really speaking Comanche, but... No. Like, to the audience, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Get get out of here with that Orwellian double-think shit. That is no. not... <laughs> it was recorded in English so that American audiences would watch it. And, and, if... that, and that's fine, but it's like, it, it, it does distract from the story, is and, all I was saying. And as a member of the press, I was not given the option, because I would have opted, you know, but like, when you have a, a Blu-ray and they... <laughs> You can watch a certain version of a film. They didn't market that option. It's just disappointing us. when people try to make excuses for like... Why something bullshit. Well, uh, or like, it, I mean, it's just lazy. Like, just say you don't like reading subtitles. But it's funny. I don't always like to read subtitles either if I'm trying to multitask. Or there are occasions when I don't want to watch a movie that's not in English. Sure. But it's like, let's just be real. You, you know, you wouldn't watch it or you wouldn't be as happy if it weren't in English. It's too much work. That's fine. Anyway. Is it fine? I don't think so. But here, be that as it may. Well, the other thing too for Prey is that those characters didn't even need to speak that much. No. It's not like it would have been just lines and lines and lines of dialogue. Yeah, it's not a, a Tennessee Williams fact, play. Because in fact, they're also using a lot of sign language in the film mm -hmm. because they're hunting, so they have to be quiet. So I feel like this movie could have had very little dialogue, and then the dialogue there was was subtitled. Mm-hmm. Anyway, films released we didn't cover. Something called Carter. Carter. Uh, yes, you had asked to, but I didn't get a, a screener for it before it released on Netflix. Uh, but it is uh, directed by Young Young Gil, uh, whose previous film, The Villainous, uh, South Korean, uh, I really liked. Uh, so I would watch Carter still. Clay Dream. Uh, that's a documentary about the father of claymation, Will Vinton. I watched the trailer for that. It looks like a like a fun story of some, you know, guys from the Bay Area just having fun doing their art. Yeah. Uh, another one called Mija. Uh, a music documentary by Isabel Castro. I know that it was at Sundance this past January, but I did not see it. Lastly, a cartoon called Lucky. I think we came close to watching this. I put it on the list of things I would watch, but there wasn't time. Uh, directed by Peggy Holmes. Simon Pegg and Jane Fonda do some voice work in it, as does the woman that played the sister in... Joe Coy's sister in Easter Sunday. What's her oh. name? Is it Ava Noblezeta? Something Noblezeta. All right, movies we watch for fun. Some, you watch something called Angel Heart? Something called Angel Heart. You don't remember that movie? What is it about? Uh, Mickey Rourke as uh, a private eye that sold his soul to Satan, uh, no. who's played by Robert De Niro, and it's the reason Lisa Bonet got kicked out of the Cosby show. Oh, with the chicken blood? Yes. Oh, you watched that? Yeah, because I wanted to reference it in something I'm writing, and uh, <laughs> I think, because I own it, and I remember liking it a lot more than I did on a rewatch. It seems, it plays quite... It, you know, I think even when I saw it 20 years ago, thinking that, because De Niro is Satan, but he's introducing himself as somebody named, like, uh, his name's an anagram. <laughs> it's so obvious. Uh, but it is out of control, because Mickey Rourke plays this P.I. in the 50s, and he's basically lost his memory. He's lost 
the knowledge that he sold his soul to Satan as this this crooner. And Satan's come to collect, but they got to make him remember that he did this. And he ends up, you know, having a sexual relationship with Lisa Bonet, and it ends up being his daughter. <laughs> and Lisa Bonet, who is stunning, her vo- her voice pattern and how she's uttering the dialogue, if I'd closed my eyes, I would have thought that was Patricia Arquette. Oh. It's interesting. Like, the, the, the pattern of her voice, uh, at least speaking in that film. Okay, moving on. Oh, but Alan Parker, you know, he directed Evita. Oh, with Madudu? With Madudu, yeah. Oh, I need to finish the uh, version of Avita with uh, Faye Dunaway. Yeah, I bought you a bootleg copy of that. Also, that's that along with Sharon Stone and Border Run have rape scenes that you laugh at, and you shouldn't be. Okay, this next movie we watched, I feel like should have its own episode, <sighs> because this this is for sure the worst movie of 2022. This it's it, called the Raquin. Raquin. Raquin or Raquin. Raquin. Because it's a French word, right? For a, for a shark. <laughs> which Man. Which, I, it clicked in my head that Therese Raquin uh, by Emile Zola, that, that woman's last name is Shark. Oh. <laughs> I never knew that's a, that's a very interesting uh, novel. Uh, and there's a really good um, Korean version called Thirst that made the vampire version out of it. But anyway. Well, anyway, this is a shark movie that was made this year by a person. I feel like I'm going to mess up his name. Levon Kiet. Yeah, he's Vietnamese. He's actually had three films out this year. Child, this movie was cock-a-doo-doo. It stars Alicia Silverstone. And I don't even know where to begin. I'm so glad I didn't bother taking notes because we'd be here for an hour. It's just like... It, it couldn't be worse. I don't know how it could be worse. For something that has like professional people in it and people who've done this before, someone sent me a leak to a movie called Noah's Shark, which is a... I watched the trailer. It's unwatchable, the trailer. It's basically about these people who are trying to find like something... Like they believe that Noah's Ark is like sunken in this body of water and they're looking for it. And when they get there... There's like a shark trying to protect it. Oh, no. But it looks like it it was made for $35. Mm. Anyway, for like a real movie, this is some of the worst shit I've seen in a long time. Uh, It's worse than Frank and Penelope this year. Oh, yes. But it has a deliciously terrible Alicia Silverstone. Uh. I'm so confused Mm. because... The basic story is she and her husband, who've had some issues, I think... Primarily due to her losing, she was pregnant and then lost the baby. Oh, and that that pregnant belly. Ugh. They are trying to like sort of mend things and get back, like reset. So they're spending some time in, is it Vietnam or Thailand? Uh, I think they're supposed to be in Vietnam. They're supposed to be in Vietnam. And there's a monsoon and they're staying in one of those fancy like villas that everyone on Instagram likes to take videos of where they're like kind of in the water and the ocean is crystal clear and night falls and there's a monsoon and it rips their villa like asunder and like they're floating out in the ocean and just nothing about what they're doing makes sense the acting is out of control oh yeah it's it's like uh silverstone was directed to not be quiet the most egregious part of the story is that we don't see a shark until the one hour mark and there i guess and it's not even like <laughs> The only thing I will say is I'm deathly afraid of wa- like large bodies of water and, of course, sharks. So I was still 
very anxious watching it, but it's terrible. Alicia Silverstone is just yelling and screaming and she just looks crazy. Everything she does makes no sense. I would recommend watching it with people oh, because yes. have, you would just be screaming at the screen. <laughs> have an edible, have some wine, and just let her rip. Uh, we also watched an interview of the director talking about it, and he seems like such a like a tool. And in the way he was talking about it was like, yeah, you know, I had this big movie in Vietnam, so of course all of Hollywood was trying to get a piece of me. Uh, well, and you know, at first they wanted to go the Sharknado route, but I wanted to do something more legitimate. And hit. it's just all bullshit. Like, you know you made a shitty-ass movie. Then I watched a little thing with Alicia Silverstone talking about it, and all she did was complain about how cold it was and how she almost had hypothermia and she's covered in bruises from it. And so it just sounds like a horrible, horrible production which is reflected in the quality of the film. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah, strangely, I can't wait to watch that again with people, though, because it, it is just a travesty of a film. <laughs> Projects of interest, something called Wasp 22. Yeah, that's, I guess, the working title of the newest and potentially last film that Woody Allen will be directing that is supposedly going to be shot in Paris in September uh, in French. Uh, and everybody's saying that uh, Isabelle Huppert is rumored to be starring. Oh. You know, back in 2016 when she got all her shine for Elle, she was making comments that were to the effect of like, well, I want to work with Woody Allen and I wish he'd call soon because he's going to die. Oh, God. <laughs> it's oh. basically the essence of how she uh, uh, conducted herself speaking about it, but... Next, The Man in My Basement. That is uh, going to star Willem Dafoe uh, as a man in a basement. It sounds really interesting with... Uh, what's the guy's name from Love, Lovecraft Country? Jonathan... Oh, I don't know. Uh, Jonathan Majors, but uh, that sounds interesting. Next, uh, The Joker sequel. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize Lady Gaga was cast as Harley Quinn. I'm sure we'll watch it. I did enjoy the I mean, first. I did too. But she, I guess she did look like a Batman villain at her uh, Super Bowl mm. show where she jumped off that building. Next, Working Girl. Selena Gomez, y'all, is directing a remake of a Working Girl. No one needs this. No, actually, absolutely the, no one needs this. That should have been under the ick section. Uh, but Working Girl, you know, there was a, a short-lived Sandra Bullock TV series in the early 90s of Working Girl. And then Jessica Simpson uh, starred in a remake that came and went nowhere, I think called Blonde Ambition. Mm. The Exorcist trilogy? Uh, I think there, that was making headlines because Anne Dowd has been cast. And I didn't realize David Gordon Green, you know, who's done the, the Halloween, the last three Halloween films, is going to do the same thing with The Exorcist. Uh, as a new trilogy, and Ellen Burstyn is reprising her character, which the Ellen Burstyn part is not news. I think it was just Anne Dowd, but I don't know. I hope he does a better job with it than uh, uh, Halloween. At least the last one was pretty fucking bad. Lastly, Cinema Paradiso. Another thing, uh, uh, Giuseppe Tornatore is taking his classic film, Cinema Paradiso, and he's, I think, either six or eight episode. He's remaking it as a series, uh, which I would watch. All right. Unfortunately, there are entries in the obituary section. So as soon as we finished recording last week's podcast, we saw that Nichelle Nichols had passed. Yeah. And everyone knows her 
from Star Trek. Uhura. Uhura. Which was a pretty uh major. Pretty major. Yeah. Her that her her playing that role had a lot of impact. Uh my for the fa- culture. My favorite Michelle Nichols moment is in Truck Turner starring Isaac Hayes. <laughs> if you have not seen Truck Turner, you Today or sometime this week, please find a copy of that. Uh, her little monologue where she's berating, she's basically a, a brothel madam, was uh, you, we were watching it when I got the Blu-ray years ago, and you're like, I know this passage of dialogue because Foxy Brown used it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, it's, it's something to behold. Uh, and Pat Carroll. Mm. Yes. Uh, who is best known as the uh, Ursula the Sea Witch, the voice of the 1989 Disney film. Um, now that I go back, it's been like three months of me at the gym. Uh, so I have like a playlist, which is the playlist that I um, shared like a year ago on the YouTube channel. Um, Poor Unfortunate Soul is like, I play that song a lot yeah. while I'm at the gym. <laughs> I don't know what the, I'm, I'm sure there's some hidden meaning behind it. Okay, the secret movie, it was inspired by, it was my selection, and my last selection, Naked Kiss, was inspired by a list Michael Musto curated. Mm -hmm. So I thought, oh, I'll trust him again, and I saw that there was a Betty Davis movie. Mm -hmm. Which I own and have not watched. So I asked you if you had it, and you did. You have a Blu-ray copy of it that you hadn't seen, so I figured it'd be perfect. The film is called Where Love Has Gone. It's a 1964 film directed by Edward Dimitrik. Yep. Do you uh, know who that is? Yes, I uh, like Edward Dimitrik quite a bit. I actually really like a different film he directed called Walk on the Wild Side with Barbara Stanwyck as a lesbian. Uh, He was a blacklisted director, so here he is crawling his way off that blacklist uh, (laughs) at this period in his career. Okay, so I didn't read anything about this movie except... um, I saw a little blurb that talked about like people think it's influenced by, um, oh God, what's her name? Lana Turner. Well, you can explain that. This is, this is, so it's based on a book by Harold Robbins, who is a, we can get into Harold Robbins, but, uh, this is saying like, oh, this isn't about the Lana Turner, Johnny Stompanato case, which was only six years prior to this film. Oh, so this is like that movie Lena Waithe directed. That is clearly about Whitney Houston being a lesbian. Yes, like, but the, but, but but they're not saying that it is. Yeah, th- <laughs> th- th- that's like if uh, we made a film about uh, Connie Manchinsky as an intern that slept with uh, Bob Hinton, the president, and saying it wasn't about the Lewinsky Clinton scandal. <laughs> well, here, really quickly, before you get into all the things, I should probably explain the basic story. So, Suzanne Hayward plays a woman who comes from a very rich family. The matriarch of the family, her mother, is played by Betty Davis. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Betty Davis's character is very, very rich, very controlling. She wants her daughter, who's like an artist, who seems like maybe she's not as ambitious as her mother. She wants her daughter, Susan Hayward, to marry someone. Specifically, this guy who's played by Mike Connors. Yeah, who is probably best known for his television series, Mannix. He's like a military person who um, is like highly decorated. He's also a terrible actor. Yeah. So 
Betty Davis sort of arranges them to meet with the intention of them getting married. And Susan's like, no. But then she goes, oh, to get my mother back, we will get married. I didn't understand. She overheard him berating Betty Davis for uh, trying to do that. And then she liked him. She likes him, but it's like she only likes him because he stood up to her mother. But we'll get into her character more. Anyway, they end up getting married. Mm -hmm. And then we spend a lot of time. We spend like an hour in flashback. We spend an hour worth of flashbacks describing their relationship. She does. Susan Hayward's character gets pregnant, has a baby. But the opening of the film is that baby as a teenager. She kills Susan Hayward's lover. Mm -hmm. So after uh, Mike Connors is out of the picture, she has this new guy and her daughter kills this man. So we think. Um, And then after the hour mark, now we see the girls in jail and how they're going to handle it. But then it's because she's a minor. She's not going to go to jail. It's just the court deciding, like, who's going to take custody of her. And, like, she's, of course, going to have to spend time in, like, a psychiatric facility. So we find out that Susan Hayward and her daughter were both having an affair with this man. Her Mm -hmm. 15-year-old daughter was having sex with her mom's man. Lost her virginity to him. Lost her virginity to him. And that when the mother announced that she was going to marry this man, the daughter became so enraged, she wanted to kill her mother. But the boyfriend jumped in front of her, and so the daughter ended up killing the man by accident. With a sculptor's chisel. So there's a final sort of like courtroom scene, which we need to talk about, where the... Wife's, I mean, the, the mom, Susan Hayward, admits what really happened. That the daughter didn't mean to kill the man. She was trying to kill me. Mm-hmm. And then the mom rushes home. Like, she storms out of the courtroom. A really funny scene of her driving home. Yeah. The, and then she commits seppuku. Yep. <laughs> she kills herself. The mm-hmm. end. And all that scene does is establish that they live a, a long way away from the courthouse. Okay, I'm just going to go through my notes. And tears don't dry in the wind. It took a while for this movie to get going. Mm -hmm. Because the first hour is just this long-ass flashback of Susan Hayward and Mike Connors and their relationship. Which felt very much like... Like... This movie has such a weird tone. The writing's weird. It feels like a sitcom that doesn't have any jokes. Well, yeah. And then when we get to the hour, the halfway mark and things switch to getting back to the teenage girl, then it feels like one of those made for TV movies in the nineties about some, like a court case of a woman who killed someone. Well, it's just, you know, Harold Robbins was a salacious pulp writer. And I think, you know, mid 1964, this is still while censorship was going on. So ostensibly a lot of the things they're talking about feel very muted here. Uh, which I haven't read this book and I don't want to, uh, but I'm imagining uh, come to life more vividly on the page. That being said, for what year is this movie? 1964. It does feel kind of racy. It, very racy. Because yeah. Susan Hayward's character is her mom. I don't know if we can call her a hoe because I don't know that she's getting paid, but she's very sexually active. She tells uh, uh, her husband, Mike Connors, that. Because he he's an Elkie for a while. She's like, I use sex like you used alcohol. 
Because he's drinking a lot, you know. There's a there's a moment when she finds out that he's drunk at like the country club, and she gets all dolled up and goes to some place called the Sexational Floor Show. Yeah, sex slash ational. And the people working there know her. Oh yeah, they're like, "Hey, girl." She goes, she, "Where you been at?" And she then, goes, "How's the floor show?" <laughs> and then they and then they say, "We'll keep your car parked out front." And she runs in. We see her hooking up with like a strange man. Um, and then the husband gets mad, and then he tries to rape his wife. Oh yeah, that's uh, like Mike Connors tries to rape Suzanne Hayward, um, and then she makes some comments about him. <laughs> it's it's pretty wild. Um, then. Oh my gosh, there's just so much to this movie. But again, all of my notes are like that from the halfway point and on. Mm-hmm. Because the first hour, the only parts that were kind of amusing to me is anytime Betty Davis is talking. Oh, of course. Yeah. She's delivering this. First of all, I thought she looked nice, actually. You know, well, remember, this is 64. She looks like she's dying, but I mean, in the sense that her teeth are all yellow from smoking and her makeup is like, I mean, it's very heavy and too light for her. Her actual skin tone, but I thought her features looked really nice. Her eyes looked beautiful. I mean, she looked all one color with that blonde hair. Yeah, but the, you know, this is '64. She had three movies this year. She did Dead Ringer, and where she's the twins, and um, Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. Oh shit! Yeah, she. Uh, <laughs> her line delivery in this movie is yeah, in uh, full effect. Oh yes, uh, she, her her uh, her diction. Uh, she tells Mike Connor's character early on, you flaunt your, the poverty of your background. <laughs> so Mike Connor's character at one point is upset and goes to a bar and it's clear there are prostitutes in the bar. And then one of the girls, cause the bartender's like, Hey, you know, you can't, you can't be hooking in this bar. Like I'll lose my liquor license. And she's like, shut up. And she basically tells him, shut up. And then she tells him like, I can spot a hot suicide from a hundred yards away. And then she shows him her wrist and it's some really bad like prosthetic makeup that's supposed to show that she slid her wrist. It looked like she cut her hand off and it was sewn back on. Yeah. It kind of looks like Frankenstein. Okay. The teenage girl, who plays that? Joey Heatherton. Oh, that's Joey Heatherton. Mm -hmm. That girl's acting was crunchy. Yeah. She could have been in a Russ Myers production. It was so bad I was uncomfortable. <laughs> um, well, poor thing has to spend most of her scenes in that room. At the, yeah, all, pretty much all of her scenes are in like her her room at the psychiatric. And ward. you know, we only see black people in the psych ward. <laughs> <laughs> then she has to see a psychiatrist or a, or a psychologist, um, and it's this lady who was she was a strong looking lady no that's her probation officer no the one who looks like oscar isaac oh shit yeah and <laughs> seymour we're like i was like who does she look like that lady has a strong face but i bring her up because the scene between the psychiatrist or psychologist and the daughter is pretty it's pretty hammy and then um the the daughter wants a cigarette and the and the the psychiatrist says like oh you know you're too young for a cigarette and the girl goes I'm too young for everything I've done <laughs> and then she tries to procure it she's like I'll give you a cigarette if you tell me a secret <laughs> and then she throws her the box of cigarettes and the girl throws the cigarettes back at her. um so oh but so the probation officer is played by Jane Greer in a throwaway role oh nothing and, well and then she also looks kind of like Suzanne Hayward so. She's a little prettier and uh, a little more snatched in her clothing, but uh, 
Yeah, every time I saw her, I'm like, oh, is that the mom? Yeah, Because they oh, look very similar. That's Jane Greer uh, wearing a lot of green, a lot of interesting color choices in this film. But Jane Greer is best known for a film noir staple starring Robert Mitchum called Out of the Past, which the I production, highly recommend. The production design and the styling, I think, are pretty poor because it's like for this family that has so much money, everything looks kind of... Well, if you think about tacky it... Tacky and cheap, and then all the colors are like greens and yellows. Oh, yes. But, and I don't know if it's because of when it was made and Technicolor that the restoration makes it look more sort of uh, jaundice-like, but... No, no, no. My, uh, there's, a, well, a lot of photographs of my grandmother's home at the time. It had that, that lime, that lime green and those kind of yellows. Uh, you know, notably Edith Head did the costuming for this, which was very expensive, I was reading. Uh, but... <laughs> They don't differentiate. Most of this film is set in a, a decade and a half prior. To, so, like, the 40s. It's right after the war. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's like, yeah, it's hard because the, the actors are not de-aged or there's no effort to make them seem like anything's different. Which so. the style was, you know, vastly, vastly different. different. So, yeah, I, I just think all of, like, the entire production as far as set design, styling, it's... It's a little strange. Even the hair situation is <laughs> kind of strange. But so you've never seen Susan Hayward in anything else? I don't know. She, well, okay, so she won an Oscar for "I Want to Live," uh, directed by Robert Wise, which is I highly recommend and we own. Uh, and also "Valley of the Dolls." <laughs> oh, she's in "Valley of the Dolls." <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there's this plot point about these letters because. The man who was killed, both Susan Hayward and her daughter are writing him love letters and he's writing love letters to them. So the family is very concerned about getting access to these letters because clearly as the audience, there must be something in these letters that's going to divulge something we shouldn't know. And there's a, they, Susan Hayward's character pays some like person named Raphael to get her all of the letters so she can destroy them. And he gives them to her. And then at the very end, he goes, well, there's one last letter I didn't give you. Um, and I want you to know I read all of these letters. And he was so turned on by the sexual content of the letters that he wants to have sex with her. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was a really ridiculous scene. <laughs> then there's a scene where Betty Davis and Susan Hayward are arguing. And Susan Hayward tells her, you were never a mother. You were just a woman who had a daughter. I wrote that line <laughs> That was, that's a good line. Uh, but Susan Hayward puts the letters in one of her... Because she's a sculptress. And she puts it in one of the... In like uh, a kiln. In a kiln. At 1,200 degrees to burn them. And then she shows someone the ashes and they're all stacked up. Just burn them. Why would you put them in there? I don't know. Um, so Betty Davis is playing Susan Hayward's mother, which looked okay like that looks appropriate but betty davis is only nine years older than susan hayward yeah betty davis looks like a hell <laughs> i mean for her in this movie i thought she still looked she has a beautiful face even though it's destroyed but yeah she she's only nine years older but she fully looks like she could be that woman's mother <laughs> yes yeah yeah i wouldn't have questioned it okay i think the most ridiculous scene in the movie is the the end in the courtroom because they're in custodial court. Mm -hmm. So it's already been determined that this girl is going to have to go to therapy because she killed a man. But now they're just trying to decide if it's going to be like a state-sponsored thing. 
or if the family is going to take charge. And of course, the family wants to be in control because they're saying we can afford to give her the best of everything. We don't want the state managing her. So that's what the court hearing is for. But then it turns into like a murder trial where Mike Connor's character is basically saying that he just makes a scene. He just causes a scene and then basically accuses Susan Hayward of killing her lover for all these reasons. And it just turns into chaos. And then that's when she admits that, no, my daughter did kill him, but really she was trying to kill me. But the, and then it's followed with Susan Hayward driving home. At breakneck speed. That, I mean... It's pretty funny. It's pretty... Well, she just leaves. And also the story you didn't tell... The story you told didn't help your daughter. No, and I felt like... We had, we, we've we been watching Martin the, on BT. Yes. Um, and there's a, there's an episode where Martin goes to court... Over a traffic over ticket. Over a traffic ticket for running a stop sign. But he is, in fact, suing the city of Detroit for racism. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's so ridiculous. I thought that this scene in this movie is felt it, like that episode of Martin. <laughs> and that's what I said when we were watching it. Yeah. it, it this is as ridiculous that somebody's reining these dum-dums in. And the judge is not saying anything. No, they're just letting Mike Connors go on, and then Susan Hayward gets a rebuttal, and it's like, why? I only have one note left, and it's the theme song for the movie. <laughs> So it opens and closes the film and it's called Where Love Has Gone and it's 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 sung by a person who sounds like Frank Sinatra. Um, I All I kept thinking was, who is this song about? Mm -hmm. Where has love gone? Like, well, who's love? I want to go where love has gone. <laughs> um, the, the movie was fun. It did take a while to get into the, 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 the more fun campy bits. But, you know, the first hour does have a lot of Betty Davis, which is fun in itself. But yeah, the writing and the direction are not great. Sung by Jack Jones. What else do you have to say about this movie? Oh, well, okay. As I was saying, Harold Robbins, um, who's, I think, the most famous and maybe enduring adaptation of his work is probably The Carpet Baker. The Carpet... The Carpet Baker. The Carpet Muncher. The Carpet Baker starring Carol Baker and George Pappard, which I've actually never seen. But... Uh, then in the 70s, all the adaptations of Harold Robbins' novels exploded. Uh, and you get something like The Adventurers, which is terrible. But Candace Bergen plays a woman who becomes a lesbian because her kid dies. And, <laughs> and then there's The Betsy. As where, one does. Yeah. Or The Betsy is a lot of fun, which has a great cast. Um, I think Lawrence Olivier's son is gay. I'm forgetting who played him. I don't remember who was Tommy Lee Jones. He's in it. I don't think he was the son. But his son is gay and married to Catherine Ross. And Lawrence Olivier decides to start fucking his son's wife. Lawrence Olivier. And and then, uh, oh, The Lonely Lady with Pia Zadora is a Harold Robbins adaptation. So that's at the level we're at oh, here. Did you, oh, you probably didn't see it. I posted some clip on Instagram featuring Pia Zadora. And I, I want to know what movie it's from. But... You'd have to watch it after this. Uh, well, the, she limited supply of Piazzadora films, but I'd be if it's not Lonely Lady, which you've seen. No, it's not Lonely Lady. It's probably Butterfly. No, no. Oh, they keep, so they keep going on about how uh, Susan Hayward's commissioned to do some sculptures for the United Nations. Yeah, for the United Nations. <laughs> and but we'll talk about her sculptures because when we first see her artwork, I wrote that she sculpts nice butts. Yeah, all of her work is like. 
figures with butts. Like very full derrieres. Yes, but then it makes sense because she's like hypersexual. Yes. So she probably just loves seeing like men's butts. I don't and know. then is it her lawyer or her agent played by DeForest Kelly, who is Dr. McCoy from Star Trek, uh, who she's also like has a sexual relationship with. Basically, when she decides she's going to get married, he keeps telling her like, your work's trash, girl. You're never going to be anything now because you're in love. Oh my God, the mom, after uh, Susan Hayward and Mike Connors get married, Betty Davis buys them a house. And the centerpiece of the house, well, there are two things. She builds her a studio. <laughs> and as Betty Davis is showing them around the house, the way, <laughs> the studio looks like it's like a garage, kind of. Mm -hmm. Like this huge room. And then she opens this enormous like automated curtain to like so we can see the studio. But then Susan Hayward walks right in through a door. The design of that was it made, yeah, it made me laugh. But the other centerpiece is there's this huge portrait of Betty Davis in her daughter's house with her husband. And she's like, it's done by an artist uh, who's, who's notable for, because the eyes follow you. It's like, okay. Yeah, this story is so like, it, it just feels like a soap opera shot in the style of a sitcom and then all of a sudden turns into like, I mean, it kind of feels ahead of its time in the sense that the second half of this movie really does feel like every 90s made-for-TV movie mm -hmm. about a woman involved in some murder thing. Oh, yeah. There's blackmail. There's, yeah. There's uh, sexual inappropriate behavior. Uh, it, and then uh, <clears throat> at one point, Susan Hayward thinks to, to save her daughter, she needs to marry Mike Connors again. Oh, that's right. And so there's this long, drawn-out sequence where she's like, basically asked him to marry her again, kind of like Liz and Dick. And he says... <laughs> It's just too much responsibility for one man. <laughs> Why would he marry you, girl? You were, you're a slut bag who <laughs> and said it, awful things to me. And he was an alcoholic that is just cured because he's try, He becomes an alcoholic because Betty Davis makes him vice president of the company that she lords over uh, instead of him having his own business because he has plans to go into real estate, like. He wants to start his own agency, I think. But she goes to all the banks in San Francisco and says, don't give this man any money. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's all I have. Um, I was going to say uh, also another a good Lana Turner connection movie about that scandal. Woody Allen directed something called September in 1987, starring Elaine Stritch and Mia Farrow, uh, which also kind of has a similar mother-daughter dynamic where the daughter did something like that. Huh. That's uh, where love has gone. What do you have for this week? Uh, movies, movies, movies. Uh, I don't know. A lot of uh, smaller stuff coming out this next week. Uh, stuff that you didn't seem very interested in watching, like the new James Ponsold film, Summering. Uh, or Aubrey Plaza and Emily the Criminal, that's coming out. Uh, there's a new Diane Keaton movie, which we already saw. which ugh. And uh, a film called Fall, which looks interesting. Oh, and Glorious. I'm actually excited. A Shudder film with J.K. Simmons about the man in the bathroom. And there's some, like, demonic spirit, like, talking through a glory hole. Yeah, that looks interesting. It looks interesting. But other than that, it's pretty, uh, kind of a low... You know, August is always feels a, a bit low-key. Uh, and because... Oh, and Locarno Film Festival is going on right now, so I've actually been watching a bunch of stuff for that uh, and covering it, but we haven't talked about it at all because... Anything else? No. All right. Bye.